Welcome to another episode of the, well, no, it's it's now officially called Are You There, Todd? It's me, Taylor. Yes. Na, 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 na. I think that's the name, don't you? I mean, I, I, I really... Sure. Although, I, every time I blog about it, I type in Todd and Taylor Show. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, it'll, it'll, that'll sort itself out in time, I guess. Exactly. I'm here. This is Taylor Trask. And with me... And I'm Todd A. Today, and we're back with another episode. This will be a full episode this time. Um, we're going to try to go through the regular flow of things and try to adhere to a structure of some kind so that you as listeners can know uh, what to expect and when to expect it. So we're going we're gonna to do it in three phases. We'll do the previews. Um, we'll do the candy roller coaster, which we've explained before in previous podcasts. And then we'll do the feature presentation. And then we'll end with credits. That sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, do you want to <laughs> start off on the previews this week? Sure. Uh, at, at, right before we started recording and we were discussing this, um, I I had put on our preview sheet that we should discuss the, the new Bond Spectre preview. Yeah. And then completely forgot that I had seen it. So I was and so maybe that maybe that says something about my <laughs> excitement about the movie or something. Well, wait, no, wait, wait. This is interesting to me personally because you have, unlike most people, you've read the novels, correct? Yeah, I was a big James Bond nerd when I was a kid. Now, did you read the novels before you saw any movie or vice versa? Oh, no. Oh, no. Because um, they're like from the 60s or something. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I did, I did read the novels. So you, are you now, – now, does that – do you have a very specific view of what you think James Bond as a character should be or what that world should be? Or do you – are you accepting of every sort of regeneration, if you will, of the, sh- of the movie or the franchise? That's a good question. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care about anything after Roger Moore, really. Really? <laughs> Interesting. Well, um, I didn't, I never saw the Dalton movies. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I remember being moderately excited about Brosnan. Um, he was okay. Goldeneye was obviously the sort of the nadir of his, his tenure, and then it dropped off. That was the first one he ever made. I know, I know, exactly. <laughs> and it had Sean Bean, who you can't you can't go wrong. With Sean Bean. But that Sean Bean and Alan Cumming, if you remember that, like that was oh, my God, first exposure to Alan Cumming. Well, it, it, a Famke Janssen is in oh, it. Oh God, that's right. The, yes, I mean, it's so, it was it was super corny. Um, when when Daniel Craig appeared, I uh, made the argument on my blog that there were, there had always been two schools of James Bond actors. Connery and the Moore, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you could file all previous ones under one of those. Like George Lazenby was a Connery actor; mm. he was the one that stepped in for one movie mm-hmm. before Connery came back. Mm-hmm. Um, Dalton was a Connery actor. Uh, Craig is obviously a Connery actor, and um, unfortunately, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is a Roger Moore. Ah. <laughs> like. And I think what I said at the time was you could maybe make the argument that he is a Connery Bond trapped in Roger Moore movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, you you, know, they, so were pretty, you, they were pretty corny. You know, they had really stupid gadgets. You mean, you mean the Pierce Brosnan movies? Yes, the okay. Pierce Brosnan movies. Okay. Were, very, were very Roger Moore-ish. They were of that, that type of, you know. It was like Roger Moore left. They, they got this real gritty, hardcore Bond yeah. in Timothy Dalton. And then they got rid of him, and they got another Roger Moore. You know, this these sort of corny. You know. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty. I mean, wasn't wasn't John Cleese John Cleese Q? Yeah, during he the was for Brosnan the la- later on. Like it's after the original because they had. I think the the actor who played Q was right. the only sort of common link across all of them. 
Desmond um, Llewellyn. Yeah, and when he serves. finally passed away, I think there was a movie where there was like, and here's my assistant, and John Cleese walks into frame. You're like, oh my god, yeah. and then John Cleese kind of took it for another movie or two before they rebooted yes. with with. Uh, and then it was weird because then uh, Judy Dench became that common link because she was the only carryover from uh, Pierce Brosnan to, to Daniel Craig, and there was never explained. I don't think she's in the Brosnan ones. Oh, she is. No, no, she is. She's she's M. I thought she only came on for Daniel Craig. No, 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 no. That was the big. That was kind of the weird thing when they uh, rebooted with Daniel Craig. They're like Judy Dench all of a sudden reappears. You're like, that's odd. Like she and she was the only thing. And it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't right. even like any of those stories were totally were never. Brought, they're just like, well, we want to keep her, and we'll just pretend like she never existed in these previous ones. I I swear, go back and look. She was always you're right, there. You're right. Yeah, that's. I completely forgot that she was in those. Because she rocks. But, the but now Craig I remember. Now so I remember. Well. There's that like in World Is Not Enough. She's the one that's imprisoned and stuff. Yeah, that it's really funny. She she um, owns man. I, so so just so you understand where I'm coming from, I adore the Daniel Craig. I, I was never really a James Bond. I never got into it much outside of Golden Eye. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I was never really into it. It just kind of seemed kind of hokey to me until Daniel Craig, the, you know, that franchise started. And all of a sudden, I just got sucked in. And then Skyfall just blew me away. Um, now I'm, I'm like eagerly anticipating Spectre. And it's weird because they sort of reset the board they took three movies, and then at the end of Skyfall, spoilers, they sort of reset the board to the classic Bond characters that you're used to with, with like, a, a, a dude who's, you know, Ray Fiennes is the new M, um, many pennies in, or money pennies in it. Um, so they kind of reintroduce all, the, and the Q is back. So all those people really weren't in the first three Craig movies. Like, they kind of got introduced in Skyfall. So they basically brought back the James Bond world, as you will, in full. Um, hmm. For Spectre, or at the end of Skyfall, it's kind of where they leave you. So Spectre's kind of like the first, like Bond movie in you know in that universe where you know there's a there all those things that you're used to are back. Um, and so and, and I mentioned this before we started. Big spoilers. There is there's talk that Christoph Waltz, who's in Spectre, is playing Blofeld. Um, and I'm not in there, and he's denied it, and the studio's denied it. But you look at this trailer, you're like, and they don't show Christoph Waltz. They just kind of showed him enshrined in shadow. Yeah. Um, you know, he might be wearing like a turtleneck suit or something if he's stroking a cat. Like, we don't know. And I think that's one of those things where if it ends up being, you know, they want to keep it secret in case it ends up being true. I actually don't care either way. If it ends up being just a new character, even just as well. Um, I'm not jonesing to see, you know, everything brought back. But it would make sense because they have spent this time and effort to kind of restore the original universe. Um, so it would make sense for them to be like, and here's one of those villains back with a unique twist of some kind. I don't know where, if that's appealing to you at all or... Interesting. Um, I'm not, uh, <laughs> man. Ever since the, um, ever since that episode of Game of Thrones, um, <laughs> I've really been evaluating uh, how precious I feel about pop culture. You know, because oh. there's there's some pop culture that I'm eager to see remixed, mm-hmm. um, and for you know, I don't I don't know why why it rubs me the wrong way when other, you know, when other translations are made of of stuff. I mean, that's a big a big theme that comes up in what we talk about. And yeah. whenever we do this episode where we're massively going to cover Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, yes. that'll, you know, that, that'll be a it's great, be a, long one. a great, um, you know, subtopic there. 
Let's hey, but, by the, um, well, let's by the I, way too. While I'm thinking about it, let's put a. I hate to say this, but just for the sake of time, let's put a moratorium on Game of Thrones tonight, only because the finale is airing basically yeah. now. There's uh, no sense in us talking about. No, it. and I want to wait until after that's done, and then we'll kind of do like a you know we'll we'll do like a, a recap of season five in, in in its entirety maybe next week or we'll just we'll touch on it more then. So just just FYI, if you're out there waiting for yet another Game of Thrones epic sort of discussion, we'll we'll. Well, we should probably put a, another a, a note in there that <laughs> that we record. Two episodes last week, and only one of them made it up to true, air. True. Um, so we may have to, like Marvel, we may have to reevaluate our naming convention um, <laughs> because we <laughs> thought we would have episode 1.5 and then episode 2 up right after each other, and episode 2 had some technical difficulties. So we're recording episode 3 right now, but episode two, 2 is still in the hopper, and it has tons of Game of Thrones talk. That's on true. It. That's true. Um, so, that's one of the um, reasons, and it's my fault that's not up because I've been wasting my time editing it. Um, but we'll we'll, that, we'll cover a lot there, and we'll cover a lot more uh, maybe next yeah. week's episode too. Well, but, so this this Bond Spectre trailer, yeah, sorry to loop us back to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like like you, I'm, it, it kind of does excite me. Um, and you pinpointed, I hadn't thought of that, but maybe it is because of that. Maybe it's given us that old Bond feel mm-hmm. of you know the the one bad guy because that's probably um, if there's a shortcoming to the the other Craig movies, it's that I have no idea who the bad guy is. Yeah, but Skyfall you do. I mean... I never saw it. You never saw Skyfall? Oh, my God, dude. Oh, you need to give that one a chance. I was not a fan of that second one under the Craig series. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't great. Um, Skyfall more than makes up for that. It is... it, yeah, you, I heard it was amazing. I didn't. I didn't boycott it on any good oh, reason. I just never got a chance. Still to see free it. on Netflix, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. You can grab it anytime. It's yeah. it's so good. And and uh, oh, Javier Bardem is the is the main villain. And oh god, he's he. And that's like kind of the first true. I mean, I guess in the in, in Casino Royale, there's um, Le Chief. He's a you know he's like, but he's not. Yeah. And he's kind of a classic bad guy. But Javier Bardem is the the classic bad you know Bond you know Bond villain that you're sort of yeah, expecting yeah. to see. And I think Christoph, I think casting Christoph Waltz sort of signals officially they're back in that. Because I mean, you get him, especially in the trailer too. He's sitting, you know, in shadow with all his henchmen around him. Yeah. It's almost like a Doctor <laughs> Evil moment where he's going to be, you know, illuminated by light, you know, at some point, and you know, turn around in his chair or something, and he, he doesn't even try. You know, I know. I totally expected that at the end of it, like the spotlight would hit him, and he, you know, and and he would say, "Hello, Mr. Bond." Yeah, yeah. Well, that being um, said, um, it's interesting. You you remind me. This watch this for a segue. You mentioned Femke Jensen is also in in Golden, uh, Goldeneye, along with Alan yes. Cumming. Both of them appeared again later in X-Men United, X2. <laughs> and next on our agenda is X-Men oh, Apocalypse. Such a good segue for so little that we can say about this. But this week, um, uh, Brian Singer released some set photos yes. from... Uh, from X Men Apocalypse, uh, the, the first comment, the comment I saw, um, you drawing my attention to this, the, or the tweet I saw, you know, whatever magazine was tweeting about this, um, talked about how this this one picture of everyone on the wires uh, and with a giant green screen behind them seems to indicate that there's some, you know, deep Quicksilver scene about to happen, which has got to be everyone's favorite scene from Days of Future Past. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, and I think that got everybody really excited about it. But there's, other than that, there's not a lot we can say, except that I kind of love that, um, honestly, when Age of Ultron came out, I, you know, uh, some friends and I discussed how are they going to top that Quicksilver scene 
from Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. it's how is the Marvel Cinematic Universe going to compete with Fox's version of Quicksilver? And they just killed him. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, I mean, I feel like they just sort of laid down their arms right there. Yeah, like, not we're that, just not even. That Quicksilver <laughs> was okay, but I mean, that they really, Days of Future Past really just nailed that character. Oh, my God. It was such a good scene. Oh, man. Um, when it was and in- so, so I'm sure we're all excited that there's, you know, this this teases us with more. When Fox even too was like they didn't they didn't come out they didn't make a huge deal of it but there was a hint that Magneto was his father as well and I'm I'm curious if they play with that more. In the well, I mean, he definitely is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Comics. Yeah. In the comics, clearly. So, yeah. But I mean, the movie um, it was even kind of like they acknowledged they, they didn't say like I'm your father but there was like there was definitely like that moment when he was breaking him out where it's and then he's like my mom used to date a guy who could move metal you know or some some yeah. such line so that was kind of cool. Yeah, oh, I love that. I'm a um, huge fan, was, by the way. So, so long story short, I adored. You know, X Men One was kind of like the first. I mean, you could say Blade really was kicked off the the you know, the beginning of comic book movies as we know them, um, with that sort of tone. But I I like to point to X Men One as sort of like the big moment where it was like, holy crap, this is what this you know uh, ensemble cast of amazing actors like doing these things like that. This is the vision. And then X Two remains one of my favorite. Movies of all time, but probably my favorite superhero movie of all time because it was so well done, just start I to finish. I thought so too. Just yeah, amazing. and I agree with you totally. I think the X Men movies, uh, you know, really kickstarted the modern generation of superhero movies. Yeah, and then you get Brian Singer back in the saddle, and like it, it was great because Days of Future Past existed both to kind of retcon. Uh, you know, the storylines, but yeah. also basically into the public, basically pretend as though X3 never even happened. Like, Which was a dreadful movie. Oh, and it's like he, I mean, and I went into that thing going, Brian Singer, you have a lot to have to fix. Because it's his fault that X3 happened because he left X-Men to go do Superman. Superman. Which, ugh, say what you will about that. So the fact that he's back <laughs> in the saddle and X, and da- I, a lot of people brag on Days of Future Past. I loved it. I thought it was Exactly oh, I've never. I haven't heard anyone. Rag, the only ragging I heard about Days of Future Past was on me because I did not see it in the theater, um, and and I got it like as soon as it was on Google Play or something, and it was. Um, I I, it, I was so excited through the whole movie, like they're fixing everything. Yeah. Oh God, so yeah. Cool. And uh, what really nailed me, and and I actually went into the theater with one prerequisite. I'm like, all I, I mean, I, I, I you know, I knew I had to do all these things, but I'm like, at the very least, if if I can just hear John Ottman, and I didn't even know who who did the score or anything, if I can just hear John Ottman again, because he did the score for, I think he did definitely did X two for first I, class. Uh, no, he didn't do first class. I don't oh, believe. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I don't. No, that was somebody else. Uh, he did X two, and it had and X two is where you got that classic that dun da 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 that that sort of. That theme, the, the X-Men theme. So I'm like, all I want is that. Uh, if I can just get that. And then right away in the credits, you hear like you, Patrick Stewart like narrating just like he did in the original Brian Singer movies. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it cuts and you hear this like, you hear this kind of like this music start to build. And then with just at the last second, dun, 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 dun and you hear, that kicks in. I got chills. Just, I got chills now even thinking about it too. But I'm just like, yeah. Because <laughs> here's, here's a fast fact for you. John Ottman, who did the score, also edited uh, Days of Future Past. So he did both. He pulled double duty on that one. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. I, I heard an interview with him talking about that. That's that is that was such a weird factoid. But it makes sense yeah. too, because from a music perspective, oh, yeah. like you are, you know what your edits are going to be, and usually the editing is done either before or at least ahead of in tandem with the composition. So like he could yeah. really fine tune how that music layers in, and you can kind of exactly. sense it. It's it really hits the right emotional bones for me. Anyway, I'm excited about Apocalypse. I think you know it's. It's going to be in the 80s, um, 
a lot of that cast is, you know, the, the main cast is moving forward. It's no, no word yet on if um, Hugh Jackman's back or not. Actually, at this juncture, I really don't care if he makes an appearance. Awesome. If not, it, that's it's just going to be fine. All you know, just the same. Yeah, I would I would love to just dreamcast a new Wolverine mm. because I want I want a short dude this time. I don't know, man, but he's been in it for so long. Think about how many kids grew up with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I think if you go short, even though it's true to the comics, a lot of people might be like, short Wolverine. It may be, be weird to them all of a sudden, you know? Oh, it's, it would be so cool. <laughs> um, I mean, but I, I just want to do that to just sort of dream up who it could be, you know? Yeah, yeah. Jack Black. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot him with, like, the Hobbit cameras and make him, like, a little bit tiny. <laughs> Jack Black real as hairy. Wolverine. It's almost yeah. like a great SNL sketch waiting to happen <laughs> when it happens. Speaking of different yeah. different characters, though, next on our list, um, or, di- or rather dream casting, you wanted to talk about female Ghostbusters. Yeah, I didn't really have any, anything to say about female Ghostbusters, except on Friday, um, I don't have any new news about it, except that uh, I was curious, um, because of some stuff I read on Friday, uh, wh- what your feelings were about it. <laughs> well, I I think okay, so so two things. I'm not ma- I mean, I love I like the original Ghostbusters just fine. I think it's weird they're trying to do a shared universe off of that franchise. I think Dan Aykroyd must have wished really hard. Um, you know, and with Bill Murray just being like, I don't, you know, and I actually respect Bill Murray a lot for being like, I don't want to be in it unless, you know, like you kill me off or I'll be dead. I'll be a ghost. We're like, we don't want you to be a ghost. We want you to be in it. And like, I don't want to be in it. If that's the case. I kind of respect him just knowing kind of what the limitations might be, but the cast they've announced for the female side, at least, because there's going to be a, another male Ghostbusters movie as well. Right. Which seems like the, such a weird idea. Yeah. And I'm like, the female one is fine. Don't, you don't need to like do a male one too. Like, and the cast they announced is great, but what really kind of got me interested was last week they announced Chris, not Chris Evans, um, um, uh, Hemsworth. Hemsworth is going to be playing, Thor, Thor himself is going to be playing the Janine role. Uh, yes. Which, I, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, genius. Genius. I, lo- I love that. It's yeah. going to be amazing. And I, I mean, honestly, if it weren't him, it would, if it weren't he, it would have to be uh, Chris Pratt, right? Yeah, ooh, that would be fun. <laughs> That's almost too on the nose. I like the fact that you get you get Chris Hemsworth to kind of be, especially, and someone made this point too, because I think the original assumption is, oh, he'll be like the pretty boy they hire that's sort of a doofus. I'm like, no, 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 make him exactly like Janine where he's got like glasses and he dresses nerdy and he's just like, he's kind of like, make him play completely against type. And I think you, you they'll have gold, especially you throw Melissa McCarthy in scenes against him where she's basically like, you know, coming on to him or something. I, that could be, I'm actually kind of excited. And then once I saw that, I'm like, I, this could, this could work. This could work. Um, well, I, the, so the, what I read on Friday was a, a, a friend that I follow on Twitter. She was having some Twitter fight or not. I guess it wasn't really a Twitter fight, but it was with, uh, she was having a text argument with another friend of hers. And she tweeted about this argument where he was basically defending that, I, this dumb idea that like they were, you know, they're ruining this franchise or something with <laughs> by putting by making an all female Ghostbusters, and I, I'm just so so stumped by that opinion. Like, no, yeah. they <laughs> just made a different movie. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't understand that at all. What's there to ruin? Is my question. Like, I mean, and I don't know if I have a weird opinion on it because every time over the past ten years or whatever, when they've been discussing Ghostbusters three. I feel like I'm the only person in the universe who's going, please don't make a Ghostbusters 3 with the original cast. I agree. Like, I I was rooting against it the whole time. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that because, you know, I I kept hearing people sort of 
you know, dog on on Murray for not wanting to do it. And I was like, he's the only sane yeah, person right yeah. now. Like this, he recognizes like how ridiculous it would be for three sixty-five-year-old Ghostbusters well, you get, to be running around with these you know giant backpacks on. You or get whatever. Dan Aykroyd, who's I mean, let's face it, the dude is is fat and out of shape and just not. He's not the the Dan Aykroyd. The Dan Aykroyd of the '80s was it had sort of a sly kind of. There, there was something about his humor that wasn't so on the nose or so forced. You, you watch him now and stuff, and he's just so unbearable. Like, everything he's in, he's just way over the top. I'm like, I don't want to st- – him against Murray would be just be- – and Murray's only just gotten – you know, his, his acting has just has gotten incredible over time. Like, he's like a fine wine. Yeah. And, and Ackroyd just is like a wine that's spoiled. They're like a flat beer. You're just like, I don't, I don't want that well, in there anymore. Ackroyd's UFO game is on point, though. True, 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 true. Yes, let's not discount that. And his and his weird crystal skull like whiskey uh, uh, tequila that he sells, like oh that's fine. Oh, that's right. I just don't want to see him in. And he's probably going to have a cameo of some kind. You know, it, actually, strange enough, the one who I want to see, ha- the, the one guy I would want to see have a cameo is Rick Moranis because we haven't seen anything from him in forever. Good, good point. Um, yeah. You know him stopping in at least because he actually, as far as I re- as far as I know. After Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, there was like another movie he did. He just kind of retired altogether. He's like, I don't want anything. Really? Just disappeared off the face of the earth. And it'd be really cool in this movie just to see him make, you know, at the very end and some kind of weird thing. Like he just pops up and that would be such an awesome Easter egg, you know, for those of us who remember him and you grew up in the 80s and 90s with him. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, um, that's good to hear. I'm I'm just... Uh my, I, you know, I, I think it's such a such a weird topic. Like, I just there's I have no passion one way or another. I yeah. think it's a great idea to make a female cast yeah, and to refresh it, and especially to make a break because it's kind of like if if they just if they cast this with uh, with three other dudes and you know and then what are they like? Oh my God, are they making the animated series? Is it Vinkman Junior? Yeah, I mean, no. like if you want to start it over, just start it over. And w- and this sounds like Paul Feig's idea to to do an all film, female cast and have kind of a you know. Uh, a Thor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's the right yes. cast. Like you think about it, it's yeah. Kristen, it's Chris, uh, Kristen Wiig, uh, Melissa McCarthy, uh, uh, Kate McKinnon, who that was genius, and then the the, uh, the newer African American uh, gal from SNL. Um, she's the older one too, not the younger one. Like the older one they brought in, like late. She's like in her late forties, which is even cooler. So it's like a woman of color who is older, um, you're given that fourth slot. So it's going to be a really cool mix. Um, and it's just like, again, you get Chris Hemsworth in there. And if you get the right, I mean, I, I don't know how much control Ackroyd has over the script. Some of the things I've seen from his previous attempts weren't very impressive. So as long <laughs> as he's, you know, a, a, a executive producer at most, I think we'll be fine. That's what I'm seeing. I just, I just Googled it to, to, <laughs> to find out all these credits. Um, uh, because I believe it's Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones. There, I apologize about. for not. Okay. Leslie Jones, if you're listening, I, I very much apologize. You're awesome. And your name will be known soon after this comes out. No one, no one shall ever forget you. Ever forget yeah, you. it looks like Ackroyd's got character credit, oh, but God. not screenplay credit, which is yeah, Feig and in. Katie DePold or Dipold or something. Nice. So um, I have no good segue into our last preview yeah. uh, su- subject, but I, I can't believe that I overlooked it. It was a great thing for you to add on here. Um, and that is the death of Christopher Lee. Yes. Um, so I have I had uh, run across a lot of those uh, facts that you sent along, but um, I thought you might want to just point a couple out. Christopher Lee, for those who don't know, if, if I mean, if you don't know who Christopher Lee is, I mean, good luck. Um, that dude is one of the. I mean, lived lived to the ripe old age of 93 years old. Has been an actor since the 40s. Um, stars <laughs> in everything from Dracula from this, you know, in the 50s and 60s to uh, Saruman in the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies, Count Dooku in Star Wars. Like, this is a guy who has been working 
consi- I mean, I think he has even several uh, world records in terms of how many movies he's been in and just how many roles he's had. But there's a link, and we'll put it in the show notes, or we'll put it, you know, in the notes of this of this episode if you're listening on SoundCloud. Um, there's a Io9 did this 22 incredible facts about the life uh, of Christopher Lee, and it's amazing. It gets into his whole work uh, in the British, essentially the British Secret Service, um, you know, fighting the Nazis. Uh, working in these undercover missions, all before he was 25 years old, and I love it in the yeah. in the thing, um, in the in the recap of this, it's going through all this stuff, and then like speaking both French and Italian, Lee spent his time after World War II hunting Nazis with the Central Registry of War Criminals and security suspects until he decided to give acting a try at age 25. Yes, all of that happened before Lee was 25 years old. So this is a guy who has been who has lived all. I mean, he lived an entire life before he was 26, and then he jumped into acting. There's stories about him cutting you know, Errol Flynn, you know, of, of classic Robin Hood and, and sword fighting yeah. fame, like cutting off his finger almost. So he cut off Errol Flynn's wig and pissed Errol he Flynn was, off. He was considered uh, uh, for the role of James Bond? Yes. He was actually related or knew at least uh, if I'm uh, the, the yeah, author. Yeah, Ian Fleming. Yeah, yeah Fleming. And, um, like, and cool- the only member of the Lord of the Rings cast that had met Tolkien? Yes. Yes. And randomly yeah, in a these bar. Are crazy facts. Or a pub. And yeah. just like fanboyed out. <laughs> this is a guy too. And I knew that this is the one thing I did know is that every Christmas he reads both The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings every year. And it has like for the last 30 or 40 years because he loves it so much. He was like one of the main cast members. And he was, he was really hoping he could have played Gandalf. Um, I think had he been a little younger, that might have been, that might have worked. But honestly, I think we all, I think everything worked out for the best with him playing Saruman because he's, pr- I mean, I can't imagine anyone else doing that. I can't imagine right. anybody else playing Gandalf but Ian McKellen. I mean, that, it all worked out, I think, for everybody's in the end. Um, yeah. This is a guy, well, too, who only in the last five years of his life was doing heavy metal records. You know, at age oh, yeah. 88, was doing heavy metal, like, Christmas records. It was amazing. So go check him out. I mean, you can't, when you read this list, you're like, I, there's nothing more. I mean, if, if I were him, I would have died with a big old smile on my face because there's not much more you can pack into a life than this guy has. Um, you know, God, God, God rest him uh, or RIP or whatever you want to whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you brought him up and that we included him. Yeah. So and we'll talk more about him whenever we do this giant Hobbit. Exactly. Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Episode. So going just jumping right on the candy roller coaster from that because what a great segue that would be <laughs> <laughs> yeah the candy from roller coaster of course to candy roller coasters being uh, up, uh i guess just our picks <clears throat> for the week sure i'm going to pick something that uh i haven't read yet mm. <laughs> but that is um that's the batgirl of burnside uh the first volume was released trade paperback last week um and i did not make it to the comic book shop i believe it was last week uh, and I, you know, thought when I was at home and I thought, you know what, I'll grab this on Kindle and I'll watch it in that, um, guided view that we talked yeah, about yeah. how I read Thor. Uh, and it is not available oh. for a, like it publishes on Kindle a week later. So I pre-ordered it. Oh. So I'm very happy and excited to read that this upcoming week. Uh, now is it- but it did, it did bring me, I've read the first, as many, many comics, I read like a first issue of some arc and then I go, I'll come back when the trade paperbacks out. Oh, sure. <laughs> so it's, um, I, I love this artist, Babs Tar that's on it. And, uh, Cameron Stewart is writing it. I believe that's right. I hope I'm right. And, um, uh, she's great. And, um, she, I had run across her only a few months before she started, uh, doing the art for Batgirl um, because she had done a poster of Daenerys Targaryen Mm. that I thought was so cool. I used in one of my posts about Game of Thrones, uh, you know, a year ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and then just saw that name pop up when they you know changed creative teams for Batgirl and I was like oh crap you know I already like her work um and never got a chance to get her to sign anything at WonderCon in April because the line to her booth was like (laughs) wrapped around the aisle every time she was there so people are excited about Batgirl Burnside and um I liked the first issue I thought it was maybe a little like you know it's um it's probably I'm not the target audience. Can, can is the I, best way can to I say break it. in real quick though and ask sure. a really stupid question? Is this no. Batgirl as in Batman and it, Gotham and all that, or is this a different? Yes. It is okay. It, it, yes, it's Barbara Gordon. They're sort of retelling the story again. Um, they're not really retelling it. They've they've just recast it okay. in, in a way. So she lives in Burnside, which is is basically like hipster Brooklyn okay. of Gotham, um, and it's very digitally savvy. And, you know, there are, I mean, they, they have different names for all these social networks, but, the, you know, they're on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. And so it's, it's sort of Batgirl, um, college age, mm-hmm. dealing with those real, you know, mechanical problems of modern day life nice. as she wow. goes about her Batgirling, <clears throat> which um, is always like a cool thing to me. And it's... Uh, her Batgirling. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I, you know, uh, I, I, I love the Batgirl character. I... Um, the one of my favorite books is uh, Batgirl Year One, and I don't even know the artist and writer on that, but I love the art and I love the story and I love that retelling of the origin of Batgirl. Mm. And it get you know got a little messy in the pre New Fifty Two years, but um, I was a huge fan of the Stephanie Brown Batgirl. Um, not so much Cassandra Cain. I just wasn't following her then. I know this. There's probably a lot. That you don't know, but there have been many Batgirls. Oh, okay, different different <laughs> characters. Now, because you're not talking about in, artists or writers. You're talking about like actual right. characters in the universe taking on the mantle. Yeah, because in in continuity, Barbara Gordon, the original Batgirl, was shot in the spine by the Joker. Killing joke. Uh, yes, in that Alan Moore killing joke, and but they left that in continuity, so um, she was paralyzed and took on the role of the Oracle. Yes. Uh, and I, I love, you know, I mean, I love that role. And one of the reasons I hated the new 52 reboot was it was like, you know, I, but how, you, do, do we need more Barbara Gordon Batgirl stories? Yeah. Um, why, why are we doing this? Cause she was so great as Oracle. And especially at that moment in time, um, with the birds of prey and like all this other stuff that was going on right before the new 52 reboot. I just hated the shit out of that reboot because of that. Mm, mm. Um, and many other reasons, you know I mean? And like I've mentioned before, all the DC books that I was reading got totally destroyed in that reboot. Um, uh, so, you know, I, it, it, they totally lost me at the, at that time. And, and I haven't been a real regular reader since then, but excited about Batgirl Burnside. I did pre-order it. I get it on Tuesday delivered to my Kindle, nice. which seems stupid because <laughs> in any of those six days, I could have gone to a comic book yeah. store and actually just bought it. What a weird thing, um, though, like for them to be so, – usually it's the opposite, uh, the opposite of that. I know with Injustice Gods Among Us, like it, usually it's Kindle first, and then it will appear in the books in the stores a day or two or a week later. Well, and you know, it's pr- it probably came out for the DC reader or whatever, but it, it, the other reason I wanted to bring it up tonight is it, it gives me such a great opening to mention that, that quote that we'll also put in the show notes – um, which is uh, from Christopher Bird, and this was on quotes on comics, where he said, comics seem determined to make every single mistake the music industry did on route to finding oh, a model wow. for internet distribution. And to me, that's like, that just nails it. I mean, yeah. why, you know, I, um, uh, on, on, yeah, several months ago, I, I, you know, I'd cited or tweeted or, or blogged about someone making this other uh, 
similar complaint about digital comics and saying, why, you know, why am I paying more for this digital exclusive? Can you tell me what the digital exclusive is? Maybe I don't want it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, comics are just screwing that up. We don't need a separate platform for every, you know, there doesn't need to be a Marvel reader and a DC reader and a comicsology and a, you know, CBRs. It's just like, what a mess. Yeah. And if you're going to do those things, then put them all out on the same on the same day. Yeah. Well, this is why, basically, as, as I've gotten into digital comics, I've re- I made the conscious choice. I, I kind of looked around the landscape and was just like, Ew. and then I was just like, well, I've got all my other books in Kindle form. I'll yeah. just stick with that because I'll at least know, no matter what, you know, it's it's accessible on all my devices in the same way that you know my Kindle books are, and it'll just be in one one spot. Yeah. You know, and someone's like, oh no, Comicology is better. I'm like, yeah, but, or Comicology is better. I'm like, yeah, but they could go away tomorrow. You know, they could be bought by DC and shut. You know, who knows? At least I know Amazon's around for a while yeah so well and i agree and you know i i hate when there's just like when you because i never you know bowed before the altar of itunes like i've somehow avoided <laughs> itunes forever and uh so i so i hate when there's one superpower that you have to one pay attention to, to and and them. it would suck if the only place to get your comic books was kindle but Agreed. i agree with you because my, all my other books are on kindle i don't want to have another like a marvel app just to read my marvel yeah, books yeah. and a dc app to read my i don't even know what dc does if they go to comicsology or what and i believe you brought up that image or maybe Patrick Clark did in the comments. It was to, Patrick uh, Clark, yeah. My post about how Image just allows you the, you know, you just you buy it and you download the format of your choice yeah. directly from them. It's awesome. And that's that's so freaking smart. And I just, you know, I mean, it's it, like it doesn't make me any less excited about reading the book this week. It's just one of those bummers of my impulse buy would have meant so yeah. much more last Wednesday night if I could have read it last Wednesday night. Yeah, you know? I know that feeling well. <laughs> I know that feeling well. It's, so you had a couple comics to talk about. Yeah, I just have a quick shout-out. Uh, East yeah. of West, Volume 4, which collects the last five issues, is officially out uh, as of Wednesday. So Very grab cool. That. It also has East of West, The World, which is a one-off that came out in December and is actually the thing that got me into East of West. because it. And in fact, if you are new to East of West and you just want to know what the hell is going on, I really recommend starting with that because it gives you... The, uh, a little mini story that makes no sense, but it's really, comp- if you don't know the story, but it's really <laughs> compelling. You're like, what the hell is this? But then it gets into the background of every country, uh, you know, in, in, in what is, you know, carved up North America. And you, you just, you, and it jumps you into the timeline. And all of a sudden you're left with all these questions and intrigue. You're like, what is this story? Like, it, it, it's amazing. So it really kind of, you go into the story with, after having gone through that with a lot more context and knowledge that makes it even richer of an experience. Um, so you're, you're kind of expecting certain things. You're like, when are we going to see these guys? And here they pop up. So definitely get that. Uh, I did find out today they announced image that, um, there's going to be a, they're going to do a hardcover East of West year one. That's going to come out in July. That's going to take volumes one, two, and three, or, you know, everything that's considered year one of the apocalypse and put it into a hardcover package. It looks killer. It's going to have, um, extras and exclusives and things. And then also the first of uh, the script for issue one, much like they did with Nightly News. So I'm expecting a similar kind of package, which is also John Hickman. Um, both of these are John Hickman properties. It's going cool. to be cool. So I'm going to be left with this quagmire of, oh, I want to get that, but then I still have the trade paperbacks of one, two, and three, so I'm going to have to find somewhere <laughs> to sell those and get this and probably yeah. do it when they do year two, too. So it's, I, I mean, as long as they keep doing it, I'll, I'll, I'll make do. But the one, um, the issue I picked up this week that I'm really intrigued by is Savior. Well, let me, let me put that note in there. Oh, sorry quickly, which is, um, I, you may not have seen this, but I, I um, added to our show notes from a couple weeks ago. We have 
<laughs> one of us has got to check out Secret Wars at this point mm, on Marvel yeah. because Hick, Hickman's writing it, as I understand. That's true. Yeah. And um, I was not aware of that when we had our major sprawling Hickman Image Comics episode. Um, <laughs> the Hickman and it, it, but Having heard you praise him so much, I'm so much more interested in Secret Wars. And honestly, all the you know uh, people in the know that I follow on Twitter are loving Secret Wars. Secret so Wars I'm, is Marvel's version of Convergence, right? Well, it's... Um, I don't know. Did they make Convergence in the 80s and well, they decided to just use the name again? I'm sorry. Well, maybe I'm mistaken. What's DC? Because DC is doing basically – isn't that what DC is calling their thing? <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. It's I, – I guess at least DC is cooking up new names for this, right? <laughs> Although they had they had crises for like 20 years uh, or something. Wow. But um, I, Secret Wars was a thing in the 80s that I read when I was a child. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I have no idea what the new one is. I assume it's something – you know, it's some big universe-shattering event, but um, I have—I literally know nothing about it. So I'm so disconnected from the Marvel Comics universe. Maybe I this just, will be something that gets you back you know, into it. I'm kind of, you know, I mean, I, I know Thor's a lady, and, uh, you know, the Falcon is now Captain America with wings. And uh, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, um, and I, I don't know, I guess they're having a secret war right now. Interesting. Well, to, I, my guess is once I've kind of maxed out everything Hickman that I can find and I'm just jonesing for more, I'll probably go back. And I want to wait till it's done, though, because I, I usually with these kind of these event kind of comics, there are spinoffs and one offs and you know, tangent storylines. And it's kind of hard to know what is official, you know, what's the official core story and what's sort of a, a side thing. So I kind of like waiting until it's over and then I can kind of go go online and be like, what's the core, the thread that I need to, to look for in the book issue? You know, these issues or these TPs. I can just go through it and, and find out. Totally agree. That's exactly how I feel. And like right now, I think the the only collected edition is like a preview for Secret Wars. And I'm just, you know, it's um, I, I'm just not I'm not I'm not going to dip my toe in that until until I know you know I can I can read well, it. Well, I all. learned that lesson because I really got interested in the Green Lantern's um, Darkest Night uh, uh, incident or series that happened, which is yeah. not my cup of tea art wise. But the story was so I got sucked into that Green Lantern world. All of a sudden, and then, but there was all these tangent, like meanwhile kinds of things. I'm like, I don't have time for all that. I just want to know the core, core thing. There was a lot of helpful guides. They're like, this is how you understand the darkest yeah. night event. Um, anyway, the other, the other Let's... big pick of this week is if you haven't been reading Savior yet, which I've talked about before, another image release. Um, definitely pick it up. Issue three came out and is just incredible. This this thing is. It's draw. I mean, the the art is incredible. The pacing, the storyline, everything. It, it's literally a storyboard for an amazing TV series, um, and it's it's being kind of dripped out in this amazing fashion. They're building this world, the way they they mess with flashbacks and things. I I really want to almost read it in the Kindle sort of uh, highlighted format because I think it would flow even better, even though the the physical magazine is is just as good. But God, it's God, it's amazing. This is only number three. They've written up to eight so far, and this. Apparently they're going to keep it keep it going for a while. Um, the thing that I love about it though is it's very much. Uh, if you, I'll bring this up probably more times than I need to. But have you ever seen the, the show Carnival that a, uh, aired back? I in? have not, and you mentioned it in our last uh, episode, and I, I looked it up and was intrigued. So one of our mutual friends, Drew Huddleston, turned me on to that show, and I became an instant fan. Savior, I, I have this feeling that they, the guy like Todd McFarlane, who's the main creator, you know, of Spawn fame. Um, Todd McFarlane, I think, I, I feel like he must have seen that show and it's either consciously or subconsciously trickling through. It's not exactly the same, but there's little hints here and there. I'm like, oh man, this feels like kind of a nod to Carnival in a weird way. And it's, that makes it more exciting to me too. So great, great, great series. Um, 
uh, I don't even want to give it away too much. You just almost have to delve into it. Uh, the only thing I'll say is there's a plane crash. A man mysteriously uh, exits this, this field of corn naked carrying this, this girl who he brought back <laughs> to life. Um, he doesn't know who he is. Uh, he's, you know, he's called a hero. And then it, 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 all this stuff. And there's other twists and turns already that are just like mind-blowing. So pick it up. Um, Saviors, one, two, and three. I'm sure it'll be a coveted TP when that finally gets to that point. I'll probably grab that and have these issues to spare. So definitely great. Awesome. Definitely jump into it. I don't know if uh, when you talked about it earlier if that made it to the podcast or not. Cause that, oh, true. That was, the, that was the week that our podcast was eaten by this weird bug. That's right. And we only got about half of our comic Joffrey axed, our, axed the episode. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was the big image orgy episode where we just – Rightfully, yeah, you know, just went on and on. Which, yeah, I, I brought it up then. I, but then I think uh, Patrick, our, our friend who is listening and, and buying these comics that we recommend, <laughs> I believe he brought it up, yeah. and that's why I looped in McFarlane on that tweet. That's right. And so, uh, um, yeah, that's that's very cool. So, look forward to seeing man. what Patrick thinks of issue issue three. Go grab it. Um, let us know. Tweet us. Let us know. But let's jump into our featured presentation. Yeah. We're we're working on the sound effects. We're gonna have something pretty killer. We're gonna we're gonna have the legit candy roller coaster effect, and then some kind of I don't know, you know, explosions or something to get us to the featured presentation. So we both saw huge summer movies this weekend, and they were different ones. Yes, which is awesome. I don't know which of us should start. I'm gonna say because I I think we probably have as many questions for the other. Yeah. You know, like a <laughs> well, let's do this because, I, and I'll try to keep mine fairly short, only because mine was a movie that was released a while ago that I just okay. finally caught up on. Um, Good idea. Let's, let's do, do that, that first because then we can end with the newest, the newest thing. On Friday afternoon, I, I it was it gotten most of my work done. I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm I need to see Mad Max: Fury Road finally. Uh, everybody I I know has been like, you looking at me like you haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, no, yeah. I just I you know. I just kind of thought I heard such great things about it. I'm sure it's amazing, but someone's like, you, they're like, if, are you just going to rent it? I'm like, yeah, that was the plan. I'm like, don't, you're going to kick yourself if you don't see it. So I'm like, all right, fine. Went to the theater. There was a theater right next to, you know, near near my office. Went in, and from the beginning, everything that everybody have, had been saying about it instantly started ringing true. The cinematography, gorgeous, um, and going in knowing that all of all, it, most of, if not all of the the sort of practical effects or the just the the stunts and on all of that was all was all practical it was all real very little cgi um you know obviously things like a big giant you know five mile high desert windstorm is cgi but all the stunts you see on the cars with the exception of a very few things all practical there are people that actually you know there's dudes on bungee poles you know mounted on motorcycles dipping down back and forth you know 100 feet up in the air onto tr- semi trucks moving at 40 miles an hour all that was real. So that, that just knowing that, my mind was constantly like, how the hell did they do that? How the hell did they do that? <laughs> and from the very beginning, and this is important to note because it's about a two-hour movie. From the very beginning, there's Ma- it starts with Max standing on kind of like this, wi- this vista overlooking the wasteland. And camera pulls back. And as soon as he jumps in his car and tears out of there, this movie does not stop. It does wow. not stop. It is relentless, and it just keeps going, keeps going. There is movement constantly. I think there might be two minutes where they meet up with some people kind of halfway through, and it kind of sort of slows down, but you barely, you barely even catch your breath. And it was, it was kind of unfortunate because about uh, 
an hour and 20, eh, not even that, about an hour and 15 into this movie, I kind of had, had to kind of go to the bathroom. I'm like, well, I can hold it. <laughs> so I'm thinking, is there going to be a moment where I can at least sneak out? Real and there never was. And I held it to the very end. And thank <laughs> God I did. Because it was so, as an action movie, it was everything you've heard it is. Everybody's been just raving about this thing being like the perfect action movie. Um, and well, the other thing you said when, when we uh, texted about it yesterday was you said it lives up to everything we talked about last week as yes. far as like perfect summer movie. So, so we've been talking about movies just being movies, taking that 90-minute to, to two-hour time frame and doing something with it that can only be done in that, that time period, that can only be done on a s massive screen that you really don't get the same effect from on your phone or on your, your house TV. This totally does it. This is a movie. It start, I mean, and the story is essentially, I love it because the story is basically they drive to point A, or so they drive from point A to point B, and they drive, they drive back to point A again. Um, that, that's <laughs> literally the story. And, and, and they get a little bit into some character dev here and there, but it's basically about what's going on in this moment right now and what's going on in this moment right now. And, what, and you, you kind of gleam backstory here and there, but they don't, you know, the main bad guy in Morton Joe, you don't, I was kind of expecting like, oh, here will be like the flashback that shows how he took over, you know, very. Yeah, what, what happened with his parents when he was a child? <laughs> yeah, well, and like, you're like, he's a general and he's, he's been around, like, I may, uh, surely there, I thought, at the very least, Charlize Theron would have been like, you know, this is how, you know, she would just would have told a story or something. No, uh, it, it, there was no time. There wasn't so any sort of ham-fisted, like, um, you know, romantic thing between Max and, and Charlize Theron's character, uh, um, uh, Furiosa, like there was, because there just wasn't, and then I loved it too, I was listening to an interview with um, George Miller, the director, afterwards, and someone asked him that question, like, why didn't, didn't the studio want you to do like a love story? But he's like, there was no time. He's like, they, they were trying to escape death and danger. They were like, How do you fall in love with someone doing that kind of a thing? And it was, and it was awesome because Tom Hardy, um, you know, who plays Max, strangely very much like Mel Gibson. Like I thought he'd kind of taken a different direction. If you squinted, it was, you could imagine Mel, young Mel Gibson being that character, like the voice and everything about the way he does it, very, very similar. Um, well, so I, so I know nothing about this. I probably saw the first Mad Max movie. The very first one? Yeah. Okay. Um, which, uh, and, and then even then, I don't even, I don't even remember it. I just remember like there was a lot of dust. Yeah. But was it was it always was is it the same director throughout? Yes, same guy who started. Okay, so this he thing. did. He's done all four. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, okay. So I mean, uh, were were you a Mad Max fan? No, not really. I mean, as I, you went in? I sort okay. of dug you just, because it just came up of like what we had talked about, where people had recommended this movie. And Everybody's been recommending this movie. And, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, you know, and truth be told, like a lot of people hate on uh, uh, Beyond Thunderdome. I actually. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was kind of hoping that I don't know how it would have happened. Honestly, in retrospect, I was kind of hoping like Tina Turner would have made a small little cameo in this one somehow, <laughs> just because I was like, how awesome is it to have Tina Turner walking around with like a you know, and and that you watch that movie now, and you're kind of like, oh, it's kind of a shitty movie, but you know, whatever. Um, this this is a it's it's almost like this is the this franchise has been waiting for technology and just camera quality and all that stuff to catch mm. up to it because it feels like. The, it, it feels like what we saw now was like the first true, true incarnation of what this movie could be. And you're like, holy, and I'm kind of like, all of a sudden, I'm like, I want to see the second one. Like, I want to see where they, and they're going to do, Warner Brothers is like, holy shit, we're going to give him more money. Let's do another one. Um, wow. And from what I understand too, George Miller basically got this, he's been trying to make this for a while, but he got this movie and he got, he got it with little studio involvement because um, the Justice League movie he was going to do fell through. 
um, and they just sort of can that. And I think contractually, he, th- there was a way for him to get Mad Max made instead. And so he did it, but they, they shot it in like the freaking desert over two years. Um, I mean, they took their time with it, and they, the studio, for whatever reason, didn't really meddle a lot with it. And thank goodness, because the result is so perfect. I mean, just, oh, God. And, like, I'm not even, like, a huge – and here's the weird thing. Like, it's, it's violent. There's violence in it. But it's such – it's a movie where it, it's almost like that, that fun summer action violence that it means something. It's meaningful. It's not just like, you know, people explode and they die. They don't come back. Um, but it's right. not like it's not that grim, dark kind of just make you uncomfortable, almost Game of Thrones style violence. It's more just like it, this is the movie that, and I hate to say this, but this is the movie that kind of in my mind opened up summer movies to me. I'm like, okay, now the season has begun. Like right. Ultron <laughs> didn't really do that for me. Ultron was kind of like it was fun, but I'm just like huh. I never got that feeling. I got that you walk out of the theater and you're you're kind of like you almost you have to like check the walls. Like where am I now? What what? I'm, I am in a theater. Okay, I'm not in some weird... Like, you, you kind of feel your brain is transported to this crazy desert hellscape for, you know, two hours, and you kind of have to check yourself when you leave the theater. So, And the, I'll, I'll give one shout-out, too, to the score. The score was unbelievable. I, I immediately jumped on Spotify and grabbed that um, wow. as well. Cause, and I'm a huge movie score fan. I didn't ex- expect that to be as strong as it was, but it really punctured the, or punched the right moments and um, just a lot of... I mean, just... You could watch it without the score too, and just be your breath is taken away by just how much amazing choreography and stunts and like every stunt guy on that thing. Uh, I mean, the Oscars should have should just dedicate an entire hour to just saluting every stunt person on Mad Max Fury Road because it was just <laughs> it was un- unbelievable. So I well no go ahead. oh no can, can finish that thought. I was say, I'm just Don't saying I interrupt. can't say. I mean everything you've heard anytime someone's it's all true. Um, and and I'll, uh, one more one more thing. If you are a a female listener, or you're somebody who, you know, has a, a, a girl, a, a female friend, or a girlfriend, or a younger relative even, who you know you want to introduce them to more action, you know, they want to see action movies, or you want to introduce them to action movies that have positive female role models. This is your movie. Um, you know, like th- this is basically you know the the most feminist girl power movie you're ever going to see. Uh, at this level, with this much much action, Max is a character in it, but he's almost the—I mean, he's almost the sideshow. He—they could have done what they did without him there. He's almost kind of just the, you know, the audience avatar into this world. And yeah. then it's—it's it's all about Charlize Theron, the the women she's trying to save, the other women they meet up with, like the last kind of the the scene as they battle their way back to the Citadel. Um, it's basically Max and all these women of different ages. I mean, there's like these old women they meet up with that are just kick-ass and firing bows and arrows and guns and just like, it's, ama- <laughs> it's amazing. And it's like, you don't, uh, it, it's not weird at all. And it's just, if anything, it's kind of, it's refreshing to finally be like, oh my God, the, the women are finally rocking it, you know, and, and, and they're being allowed to rock it, I guess, in story form. Well, and that, Oops. that's what I, that's what I've heard everywhere. I mean, um, and, uh, as, as interesting as that was to me, I still kind of asked myself, like, why, you know, why do I care? Why are they adding to this franchise or something? And you may have just answered it there, which is um, maybe the best way to add to the franchise was, you know, not to focus on Max. Yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of makes sense to me because at least what I remember of it, it was like, I, why am I supposed to care about this guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, I mean, it does sound like from, from your enthusiasm and your description of it that that the you you care because you care about the women in the story yeah. not let me say Max. this let me say this too this is another thought that kind of occurred to me as i left um and it's it's apropos that i saw this you know relatively you know i saw kingsman in back in april and i, I was a late comer to that one too um yeah about two months later 
both of these movies, I walked away with pretty much the same feeling of there are, there are stories, whether it be TV shows or movies or books, that you walk in and within about five to ten minutes of consuming that story, you, your brain kind of clicks and goes, oh, I know what this is going to be. And that not necessarily is a bad thing. It could be expertly done. Um, it could be what you're looking for. Like, I just want a movie that I know what it is, or I want a story that I know what it's going to be. And you kind of feel like it, it's adhering to that. Every story is always the same seven stories. You know, there's nothing new. Then every once in a while, you, you go into something, and within five to ten minutes, you feel like this is something that is of the creative flame. It is, it is, it is its own thing. that You cannot predict it. You can't put a box around it. It is going to... You feel like the, the, the further, you, the more you watch it or consume it, the closer to that like sheer chaotic creative fire you get. And it's kind of exciting and exhilarating and, and your brain doesn't know quite how to handle it. And I got that very much with Kingsman where I'm just like, what the, th- yeah. what? this is exactly like that. It's just like, you, wow. you don't know. I mean, again, the story is they go here, they go back again. But along yeah. the way, you're just like, what the, f- what's going to happen now? Like it just, they throw so much at you and it's just so... I honestly feel too like uh, Kevin State, Kevin State, Kevin Smith's Red State is another one of those movies where you're just like I don't I don't know where the huh. where this is gonna go and that could be a good it could you know it could make for a bad movie or a good movie but it's just it, there's something really compelling about just enjoying that artistic endeavor where it's just well, like you know that's what it's gonna be yeah and back to what we were talking about last week like yeah I mean I'd rather see thirty movies like that from a, a you know from a studio than four really careful tent poles yeah you know. Yeah. When when two of those are going to suck, yeah, yeah. or 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 worse, what what always happens um, is that some element of it kind of sucks, and you know it's it's hard to just be excited about the whole thing yeah. because they've had to water down something because it's you know it's a tentpole movie and they gotta you know they gotta make sure that the maximum number of people see it. Yep. So uh, you're you know you're describing like an an auteur driven movie. Yeah, you know I mean yes. it's, and and that's what I liked about Ex Machina, and that's what we've liked about every movie we like really so yeah so i saw the opposite of that oh really (laughs) well i mean i saw a tentpole movie (laughs) by like the biggest director in the world um or at least produced by him which was jurassic world uh and i i've been more excited about this movie than any other summer you know blockbuster Mm -hmm. coming um well except i mean uh, avengers i was probably I was probably, I don't know. Actually, Avengers, I went in with lower expectations, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And Jurassic World, um, I loved it, and but I definitely went in with high expectations. Mm. Uh, fortunately, those expectations were just to see big dinosaurs eating people, <laughs> and so totally fulfilled. Nice. <laughs> but definitely not the auteur movie, you know. Um, yeah, it, but it was it never going to be that. You knew that going on. Right. Oh, Yeah. And I, had, I mean, I, I, uh, I saw it yesterday, which is Saturday, um, in the afternoon. So I, so a, a huge rush had seen it, you know, Thursday, premiere night, and then Friday night. And so I was, I was trying to avoid any headline, you know, any tweet or anything I saw mentioning Jurassic World. I was like, nope, you know, <laughs> just give me, give me to the later in the afternoon. Um, and uh, unfortunately, right, like literally walking out the door, kind of thing. I'm, I was on. I had pulled up Twitter, and there's this headline from the Daily Beast about how it was sexist and what? dumb. And so, you know, it's like, oh, just get that out of my head. Don't go in thinking that. And um, I mean, I would be totally curious to hear from listeners or readers of my blog, like what they think about that, um, because uh, 
I see the sexist points. Uh, I guess Joss Whedon had tweeted something from the after he saw the preview of Jurassic World and was like, well, this looks like just the stereotypical, you know, sexist garbage that we expect from major studios. Really? Um, and so the Daily Beast was saying, yeah, it's that and more. And I, um, I just, I didn't really get that vibe. Uh, and uh, there's the... Um, uh, Blythe Dallas Howard. Yeah, is that, is that, not to be confused. Not to be confused with Jessica Chastain, because apparently they're the same person anymore. Uh, honestly, I don't know who either of these people <laughs> are. Fair enough. <laughs> so, I saw the I saw their tweets going around about proving they were different people, and I was like, "Why well, didn't I didn't even know you were different people to begin <laughs> with, <laughs> or in anything?" <laughs> so, um, but uh, I'll tell you what: if they could get the two of them and Kristen Bell together, Ooh, in, yeah. Uh, red-haired wigs, <laughs> it would be a great triplet movie. You know, Bryce, Dallas, H- Bryce Dallas Howard is Ron Howard's daughter. You know that, right? Okay. Yes, I did know that. Um, but I don't know what else she's been in. Uh, she was Gwen Stacy in the shitty third Spider-Man movie, which is weird. She oh, was the right. blind chick from oh, the, right. uh, the, the what's the, uh, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village. She was the blind lead actress character in The Village. Um, Never saw that. It was actually the, the uh, if I had to pick my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie, that was probably going to be it. That's a whole other discussion. So wait, so well, these ideas of so sexism, like any, she is she is like the corporate, uh, you know, uh, you know, go go go, uh, you know, up the corporate ladder, uh, female who's very cold mm-hmm. and inattentive to her nephews who have come to visit her at Jurassic Park, and. Um, uh, you know, so they've got the the kids in it have this VIP access, and they um, and she's she's their aunt, and uh, you know she's kind of you know sends them off with her assistant, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know by the end of the movie, uh, with, without giving too much away, you know she is she's gone she's gone through some shit. Interesting. So she's <laughs> you know had a little little change of heart by the end, but I, I you know it's we kind of brought it up in our Pacific Rim discussion last week, like. They they could have ended Pacific Rim with his emergency vehicle thing surfacing, yeah, yeah, and like the look on uh, her face and just just cut to credits yeah, right true. there. Like I didn't care to see the kiss. I thought that was such a cheesy, like uh, you know, like a, a deferential move to an American audience. No, that no, no, no. They just expects they that. They didn't kiss to, in Pacific Rim though. They just sort of like hit, did they not? They had they had they forehead kissed. Like they just sort of like. And they looked like they were gunning, and the kind of camera pans up, and they're just like, they kind of like press foreheads together, like, yeah. So they, Nonetheless. Yeah, right. <laughs> just, just calling out you on the technicality. No, 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 no. I appreciate that, because that's, obviously, I remember it wrong, and, and that's significant. Um, and similarly, like, there's, there's kind of a, you know, there's, there's a, a shot in profile of Chris Pratt and Blythe Dallas Howard, whose character names I'll never remember. It's Owen and, and Aunt Claire. Okay. That's who it okay. is, Claire. Um, and they... Uh, you know, and there's there's that kind of shot. It, d- it doesn't get too cheesy, but I get that that is a you know an overall kind of annoying uh, message of you know oh she was so cold and corporate and then she you know went through this stuff with this rough you know man and and he you know now she's come around. Mm. But in her defense, like she went through some shit. Yeah. Like I mean, you know, she almost got eaten yeah. several several times. <laughs> so um, I didn't I didn't have that read on it at all. It's a, a, a fun summer movie with awesome dinosaurs, try, you know, eating people and trying to eat other people. And does, and that's what I wanted to see. And it was it was killer. This, and oh, I'm sorry. Does go ahead. the CGI hold up? Or it, I think you so. Think, okay. Yeah, I love it. 
So what um, I went to see it with my dad, and we talked about, you know, when we left, uh, he was not as into it as I was. Um, and we both loved the original Jurassic Park. He doesn't care at all for the next two. He can't even remember, you know, distinguish them from, from each other. Um, and I have mixed feelings on them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, there are really good points about both of them. Good parts, I should say. There are good parts yeah. about them. Yeah. But they're, overall, they're just not, yeah. the movies don't, you know, really hold up. Even though, that said, I've watched them both repeatedly because they've been on AMC or something lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is that in that first movie, there was such a great balance, I mean, from the the Michael Crichton novel, mm-hmm. which had all these ideas in it of the, you know, the, the I, I mean, obviously, like the Ian Malcolm character, we just love, yeah. like that guy yeah. that says, like, <clears throat> life is chaos and you can't predict it. And, you know, life's going to find a way. I mean, he taught me so many lessons, really. <laughs> and Good old Goldblum. That, yeah. And, you know, balanced with the curiosity of the paleontologists who have been studying this you know, these creatures that have been extinct, they, they don't know how they, you know, they're guessing. We think they're like birds, that they make this sound. And all of a sudden they're seeing them living and breathing. Yeah. It, you know, there was this, and and then Hammond, you know, uh, Dr. Hammond's like just complete hubris that he can control it all. Um, there, That was such a great balance, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Just that, that scene in the commissary where the ice cream's melting. Ooh, and good uh, point. You know, Ellie... I think her name's Ellie yep, Sadler yep. And, and Hammond are, are talking and, and he's talking about the flea circus and he's the like, next time we'll have control. And she's like, you never had con-. like that is such, it's such a quiet it's moment a killer scene. and it's such a perfect, like, you know, explanation of like the problem yeah. here. And we have not had that intellectual problem since that movie. Does it appear in this one? No, because it, the one thing that intrigues me about this one is this is almost you could almost say this is the true sequel in that the park has been realized and it's been open. Yeah. And correct me, you, you tell me if this is a, a fa- my assumption is about you know going into this cold is that this, the storyline is essentially the park's been open for a while um, to John, you know, John Hammond. Yeah. John Hammond's like the Walt Disney of, of the thing. It's been open for a while. And audiences well, are a little he, bit. There's a great there's a great thing where they don't waste any time with this exposition. But the new owner is introduced and he just has like this line of like, you know, when when I bought the park from Hammond, we agreed, you know, and it's like in one or two sentences, he sums up the nice. whole thing, which is we're going to we're going to give this spectacle to people. We want people to be in awe of these creatures and stuff like that. But again, like he misunderstands, you know, I mean, he's just like, Hammond. well, here's my like, here's he my question. Though. Though. D- yeah. Is it such that the audiences have become a little bit disillusioned and just jaded? Yes. to Yes. That's exactly the issue at hand. The I'm sure you've you know, deduced it from the trailers, which is they have uh, created this mutant dinosaur. Basically, they've, they've you know built it in a lab, mm. um, and that is exactly why. Gotcha. Because they've realized, like, well, every time we come out with a new dinosaur, which pr- prior to that have been you know dug out of the amber and, and recreated or whatever, um, they but this one they're just they're just putting genes together and, you know, DNAing the thing up and making this monster um, because they know that every time they have a new dinosaur, it leads to more people showing up in the mm-hmm. park. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's absolutely what it is. I mean, it totally did. It doesn't, I, in my mind, didn't waste any time. The few criticisms I've seen of it, of, you know, maybe dragging in the first part or whatever. No way. Not to me. Like I was, I, you know, Hook, line, and sinker kind of thing from the beginning. Nice. Like, I was just glued to it, had the same experience where I was like, 
halfway through, I was like, I need to pee, <laughs> but I don't know when there's going to be yeah. like, <laughs> you know, three minutes, <laughs> three to five minutes of like, you know, some quiet narrative where I can just run out. Um, so I sat through the rest of the movie um, and I'm glad I did. Like, but it, it's sort of, sh- it, you know, the thing is it, it, um, I think what the last two movies have done is they've, uh, they've tried to have the same tone that the first one mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. So, so what I'm saying is the, the two and three, they tried to have those quiet intellectual moments and they just kind of failed because yeah. they didn't really have the right balance of characters and not because like the writing was bad or anything like that. I mean, like Julianne Moore's character was awesome. I love the Vince Vaughn interplay with that. And, and, you know, Dr. Malcolm was in lost world as well. And then, yeah. um, I loved having Dr. Grant back in, whatever three was called. You know what would have been, you know, kind of throw something out there. But it just, they never had that balance. They didn't have like all the seats at the table. You know, they didn't have Hammond and the lawyer and Ian Malcolm and Sadler and Grant, you know? And that was, you know, my dad pointed that thing out about the lawyer. Like it was great. You saw like the businessman and then the showbiz guy and then the, you know, the chaos scientist and then the two like curious scientists. And it was, there was just this perfect balance of the discussion and they just have not had that since. And they definitely don't have it in this one. I mean, Chris Pratt gets a lot of good lines about, you know, these are animals and you got to care for them like animals and whatever. And, but it's, there's still no one preaching caution, Mm. you know, I mean, as much as you are like, yeah, Chris Pratt's the hero. It's like, yeah, but he works in the park. I mean, he could have just, gotten a job at like a zoo yeah, you yeah, know yeah. i mean um is it well let me ask you this is is the is is the is there logic to how he is a raptor trainer or how the raptors are the good guys essentially this time around or is that just ridiculous yes there is a there's a great one of the great threads i think through the movies is um that there was this company that i guess was hammond's in the beginning and i, I you know at one time i knew it which was engine mm-hmm. yeah and so, you know, there was always like a weird thing of like, you know, there's in, in the first movie, there's Newman selling the, you know, the, the DNA oh, samples yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. to that guy. And I don't know if he's from Engine or, or what, I, you know, I don't even remember the whole context, but there's always like this sort of m- militarized group that's trying to control the dinosaurs. Um, you know, Pete Postlethwaite was like that hunter. I think that might, he might've been the engine contingent in, um, Lost World and, uh, God, it's ridiculous that I know all this stuff. Um, and then they, and it was probably just gone from number three. You know, they probably just stumbled across some stuff. But that's definitely a big theme in this. And Vincent D'Onofrio is the engine representative. Wait, D'Onofrio's in and this too? I didn't know that at all. Yup, that is correct. What? The kingpin. Holy crap! Now what is? <laughs> or isn't he the kingpin? How is he? He must be um, amazing. I'm guessing. He's. Uh, I mean, he's good. I. I. I love that guy. And uh, B. D. Wong's in it too. So it's like a little wow. uh, Law and Order reunion wow. there. Um, but it's. Uh, but you know, he's the. He's the bad guy. Okay. Basically, he's the engine interests guy. You know, that's. Um, so I. I definitely don't want to give anything away there. I. I liked that plot and it. But it sets it up as kind of like the. You know, the good guy, Chris Pratt, and the bad guy, Vincent D'Onofrio. It's like well. <laughs> They work for the same company. Gotcha. I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, it's sort of that thing of like, like I said, you could, you could just not work for this company, man. <laughs> um, you've seen, you know, and I, I guess at this point in the story, they haven't had an incident okay. like this. Okay. So uh, you don't get the opinion that like Claire and Owen have been working for a terrible uh, company. But, but, uh, but that gives me a great opportunity to inject this observation, which is in my mind, Post a blackfish. Uh. <laughs> there is no way to watch this without it being like 
you know, just an allegory of SeaWorld. Interesting. Wow. I mean, it is on the nose. Do you nose. think that was intentional in any way or just a really crazy coincidence? I just don't. I mean, I didn't. I, I don't. I wasn't necessarily aware of it. I, I mean, I thought of it during the movie, but I wasn't like. It's not like there's so many parallels that I'm sitting there like distractedly, okay. you know, okay. comparing it. But definitely afterwards w- was like, oh my god. I mean, it's they work for SeaWorld, wow. you know, wow. and just and this is the incident. This is you know uh, what's his name, like the that whale, the Tilikum or whatever yeah. that um, yeah, yeah. you know ate all the people. Like it's just you know this this is this is those two characters, the 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 corporate stooge and the animal trainer realizing like oh my god our bosses are horrible yeah. wow you know so um but i mean it was just it, you know it was just it was really good i think it really captured the spirit of the original even if it didn't have sort of the intellectual I've heard that. heft of uh, it, all the people you know? who were raving about it you know who were kids like like you like we were i mean more or less in the you know early 90s when it was a 93 so 20 22 years ago um Everybody who, all of those people are like, it, I think this is the first one since then to kind of at least capture a lot of that sort of wonder that you had going into that one, as far as, far as I can yeah. tell. I, I mean, it's so crazy because that first one did the dinosaurs so yeah. well, and and that's what blew us away, but it also kind of like damaged, you know, all sequels yeah. because that awe, like, I mean, you know, just you talk about the audience, Avatar, like when, you know, when they... Uh, drive up on the, you know, I, I can't remember which one they see first. I think it's like the brontosaurus or the brachiosaurus mm-hmm. or whatever. And they, you know, in the big field, isn't that the yep. first dinosaur yep. that they see in the first movie? And it's just, they have this shot like from, you know, beneath them up their shoulders at the brachiosaurus or whatever, yeah. way above them. And it's like, that's us. You know, that's our POV yep. shot yep. of this. Di- and like at the moment, you're like, holy well, and it's, That's crap. such a great. This was so perfect, You can only do that know? really well in a giant screen. You know that you can watch yeah. on TV and you're not going to get the same feeling you felt sitting there going, "Holy!" I mean, it just it. That would have been a movie. I think IMAX it, wasn't quite around at that time, but that would have been a movie that just IMAX would have been married, married, you know, oh, yeah. in, he- in heaven. I'm sure they've shown it. It IMAX had such a, it, it, like it had that perfect like they had the wonder. Yeah. You know, like we we wanted to be each one of those people. We wanted to be like the. You know, we wanted to be the scientist that's like in awe of this creature, but we also wanted to be Ian Malcolm. Yeah. And, you know, and be like, you can't control this thing. And we also kind of wanted to be the showbiz guy. It was like everything about the first Jurassic Park was the wonder and the intellect. And then the danger of it was so perfect. And then it was just like since then, it's just been dangerous. And so it's, you know, it does get a little like, you know, how how many times can you cook this up? Um, So if if they do make future Jurassic movies, I, I sure hope they put some of that intellect back in them and. And turn you know turn this into a real discussion of like you know what what should you know humankind be doing? Well, yes. <laughs> why, why should we be messing with this? I mean, I mean, there's there's plenty of other you know uh, allegories they could make there to other you know other corporations that are messing with. Um, I think you know I think you run the problem and though. I, I agree, but you run the problem if you, if you do it too many times, it's going to feel too tired or too preachy. Where I yeah, think that's I think true. You make, and someone oh it was Kevin Smith on Fat Man on Batman. Um, they were talking about this as well because um, uh, Mark Bernardin saw it last week right before it came out. On Jurassic Park 3, remember, you see uh, um, uh, Alan Grant is back, um, yeah. which is awesome. I mean, to me, and that's 
one of the fail. I mean, there's a lot. I, I see a lot of failures of Jurassic Park too. I actually like three way better. But they show him um, with Ellie. Ellie makes a uh, Laura Dern makes yeah. a cameo oh, appearance yeah. at the beginning. And I remember, and, and, and Kevin end. Smith made this point. I remember in the theater thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, holy crap, this is going to be a movie about why these two never got together, and and the and the and what going through trauma does to relationships. Um, and like, yeah. let's explore that. Holy crap! Again, in the backdrop of going back to this terrible place. Of course, that never yeah. happened. It was just a cameo. But I'm like. Yeah. If you're gonna make these, if you're gonna have these moments or have these like you know these kind of think pieces, if you will, or these you know, going into this, this these ideas, that would have been a great one to have gone into, like how you know surviving a traumatic experience, whether it be a you know a, 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 a robbery or a car crash or any of these things. Like, how do, what does that do to relationships, and why do these two people never work out? Because you know they were basically together yeah. for all intents and purposes going into Jurassic Park, and then they made it through this, and then you you're left to just sort of wonder what happened i'm like that, that would have been incredible so it's it's you oh, know yeah. and i think there's there's the fault with the second and the third one and maybe a little bit with this one not not as much you know based on what you've said but they they don't they they don't tell that kind of a story they're just like but dinosaurs and people and yeah, yeah. instead of i mean using that you know, with you know a great commentary piece and i i i, I get it like you know you don't want, you don't want to play any of those themes over and over too yeah. much you know but um the, you know, when we talk about Pacific Rim last week being like this original idea that, I mean, Jurassic Park was so original yes, at the time, you yes. know, and I just can't, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, 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 I hate to say something like this because it's just so stupid, but I, at least in this moment, I, I don't know what could come out like that with that per you know i don't know I, I hate it when people are like oh the past was you know we'll never recapture well, that clearly not they, but, they um, say that and then all of a sudden like inception or something comes out and you're just I, like, exactly what exactly or or even i'm thinking like well actually i can't maybe i had those same feelings about ex machina you know it was so current and perfect and everything but um but it was such it was such a different movie from anything we'd ever seen yes. before, and I just don't want to see it turn into Godzilla. Yeah. Like, I just don't want it to be like, let's just remake it so many times that these, you know, we've got dinosaurs, like, eating Manhattan Well, I was concerned. I mean, it's, it's – so. I was concerned um, for – Or go the other way and just turn them all into Roger Corman movies well, yeah. from here on yeah. out. But I, was, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I got a little bit of that vibe, to be honest with you, when I saw freaking Chris Pratt riding – shotgun with raptors on a motorcycle i'm like is this where we're going but then apparently that's a really badass moment and there's it's justified so you say so i it it is yeah it's i i like that turn i guess the thing is you know with i i'm being delicate because i don't want to spoil anything which which i liked the the little intellectual kernel of the movie um i would hate to spoil what's going on there you know and but i just wish that maybe they'd amplified it Ah. a little bit in that case and maybe maybe just had you know i don't know if it's a conversation or just like a confrontation between vincent d'onofrio and chris pratt or you know i don't know how you could have like just given it the like it just didn't have the resolution that i wanted you know and like there was this moment where i was like oh this is going to be the argument of this movie and they didn't like really have it or anything and it was cool i was not disappointed i loved all the action um, it just might have like really pushed it over the top okay. for me, you know. Like, um, well, the fact that y- so I mean, you know, from my ranting about uh, Avengers and stuff, it's like anytime you can kind of you know stick it to like the the <laughs> you know the the, the man yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I, I just you know you don't want to see Engine escaping with all the DNA in every movie yeah, or something. Yeah, uh, not that that happens or anything. I'll get you next time, just, Engine. And yeah, you know, like it's the he's twisting his mustache <laughs> as he rides off into the sunset or something. 
Well, on that note, I think that I think that's something. Actually, I I, uh, I was gonna rent it after, but now that I know D'Onofrio's in it and, and your review, I think I'm gonna I'll probably see it uh, see it before it's out of theaters. That sounds sounds cool. Yeah, I mean, I um, I definitely recommend it. I will because I saw it with my dad. I did not see it in 3D, so I will absolutely be seeing it in 3D sometime soon. Think it's soon. gonna be worth it? Um, Does it mean do they film it with 3D in mind, or is it a post post process? I bet they. I'm, I'm sure they. Uh, it's, there's so much digital in it that I'm sure they were that it was all done in post. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things, like Pacific Rim. Um, well, act, no, Pacific Rim. The story was they had they they denied 3D going into it, and then uh, Del Toro w- asked for more money to you know re- like retroactively oh, gotcha. fit 3D into it. Um, but no, I think I'm sure this one was shot with 3D in mind and and all that kind of stuff. Cool. So. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'll, I mean, that's you know, that's how how much. Well, I like on that it. note, I'll let's close the door on our feature presentation. Yeah, with us twisting our mustaches <laughs> and, as we fly away to the, the sunset, sunset <laughs> on, the, on the helicopter. <laughs> that's the other thing, man. It's got to take people so long to get to this island. Wouldn't you notice? Yeah. <laughs> like the, there's like a boat of bad guys. Like the only thing on the horizon. You're like, huh? I can't wait till somebody. Are, I'm sure this has happened. I can't wait till somebody takes the. You know, scenes from Lost or like the island just disappears and just t- attack that onto the end of any of these movies. There's got to be some cool... Ma- I need to just go looking for Jurassic Park Lost mashups. And see Lost mashups. I'm going to look for uh, Roger Corman's Dinosaur Island slash Jurassic oh, Park awesome mashups. See if, see if anyone's put that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's roll the credits. Yeah, what you got to promote? Um, well, the same thing I always do, which is uh, <laughs> my website, which is heytodda.com, which is where we post all these episodes. Um, and I'm on Twitter, at heytodda. Uh, and we also put them on SoundCloud, where we are called The Todd and Taylor Show. But because we're so new there, I've noticed um, you don't always find us with a search. Mm. So it, it took me a while to, to you know, I, I don't know if it was that... It, the and in our name, if I put an ampersand or something, but um, you can always find us at heytodda.com and we're talking about websites and stuff for the show, yeah. so we'll have something something going well, soon. When I am at Taylor yeah. Trask, T-A-Y-L-O-R-T-R-A-S-K on Twitter, um, my website is actually taylortrask.com. I'm going to be doing something more with that soon as well. Awesome. Um, now that we're we're done, and actually we just launched, I'll, I'll plug my company, we just launched the new strategicblend.com, which is my agency that I manage and run during, my, during the daytime. Uh, so check that out if you're interested, and um, I guess, yeah, we'll have more, cool. more on that front too. Yeah, it's been fun. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see that now, and uh, this I, I like this format. I think this format works well. Yeah, me too. Be cool. Well, yeah. Let's. Uh, we haven't we haven't figured out a closing yet. We, we should need have, a song. We, have, we, we need, a, we need a sappy kind of. Now it's time. <laughs> they, they, like, we need the equivalent of the lights coming up, like as the you know as the credits roll. L O R T R A S K and Todd. Oh my God, you just spelled your name. I, I put you in there that. too. Yeah, thank you very and much. Todd. Awesome. Be well, we will uh, post this as soon as possible, and we will have another podcast as soon as possible. Sounds good. See you. So until Bye. then. Bye.